0: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking Podcast. Today you just get Farb and Eddie. If you like the podcast, subscribe, write a review, share with a friend, help us grow. Today it's just the two of us. We got a round table, rapid fire style pod. We talk about Netflix giving the black banks and that movement. We talk about putting the capital B on black and everything that that means, the defund the police movement. And lastly, the Washington Redskins, you know, should we hold ourselves accountable there as well? So listen up.
1: everyone, we, uh, we had an awesome interview that we just dropped with Genesis B, but Ed and I wanted to pop back on and just go over some hot topics, some issues. We just, so much has been happening and we just felt like there were some things we haven't been able to get to with some of the interviews. But I actually just read that Jeffrey Epstein's like, I don't know if it was his mistress or basically his madam, but she was just arrested in Bedford, at right down the street from where you grew up in New Hampshire.
0: Bedford is, is where, all, for all of the celebrities from New Hampshire, Bedford is a hotbed for them, which really only means really two celebrities that I can think of. Seth Myers and Sarah Silverman out of Bedford. So oh, you know, yeah. that that sort of Bedford rep right there. Now and now Bedford's being on the news for a bad thing. So, you know, that's how it goes. I don't
1: know. I I, I don't even know what I think of New Hampshire as. I, I just think of it as just like, I don't know,
0: force. <laughs> like well, what Adam Sandler's from Manchester, right? I think Adam Sandler's probably the biggest celebrity out of New Hampshire. But New Hampshire's yeah. just like it's just another state in New England. And New England being like, you know, the, the, the territories of, of the first 13 colonies. Like there's old England, which is England, and this is New England, right? These are the new, sort of the new part of the new 13 colonies in the, in the 17th century. So New is just sort of old, old English. And my folks made it up there. That was like, listen, the great Yeah, why did your parents come to New Hampshire? Was it, was it the
1: migration stuff?
0: Yeah, well, definitely from my, from my dad's side. My dad's side from Mississippi, they were part of the Great Migration, leaving from Mississippi, stopping in Florida, because my grandfather was in, the, was in the Navy, and my dad was born in Florida uh, on a naval base. But then they moved up to Boston, which Boston was a pretty, you know, big receiving city for Great Migration. Folks from the South... Um, so that's why the reason my dad and all of his sort of brothers and, and sister grew up there. Um, from my mom's standpoint, my mom's folks are from, my mom's a Dominican, so her folk, folks are sort of first and second generation um, American from the DR, and then their parents, grandparents are from, from the Dominican Republic, so they're already, they're already northeast, but they met in Boston, and then they raised me in New Hampshire, which is a good school system. So just sort of like
1: Mad Dominicans and Lawrence
0: right over the border. Yeah, exactly. There's a mad, I don't even, uh, I need to understand how all the Dominicans got there, but mad Dominicans and Lawrence, and even in you know Lowell, is a, there's a mix of Dominicans and black people. It's just it's sort of a lot of people just stopped short from New Hampshire, but we kept going. So I was just like the only one up there really, just sort of this last tale of the great migration, you could call it. Um, but that's the reason um, we were up there and there's just no black people in, in New Hampshire. This is, we're just sprinkled. So there weren't enough of us to segregate basically. So there's no sundown towns in New Hampshire. It's just all white.
1: Yeah, so really quickly before we jump into the topics, tell everyone what sundown towns is, because that's something I just learned.
0: So sundown towns are the the flip side of of the ghetto. Sundown towns, you know, we always talk about the New Deal constantly on this pod, partially because of me, because I just love it. All of those, green line neighborhoods, those white suburban neighborhoods, that is those homogenous suburbs that are, the, that are sort of the, the flip side and funded by the ghetto, um, those are sundown town neighborhoods because they're all, there was private practice, but also public uh, resources in the state to keep those neighborhoods white. So to enforce a uh, homogenous white suburban communities it was partially police and partially private citizens, right, you're talking about like, you're talking like, you know, George Zimmerman's and stuff, um, who basically if you were black and you got caught in those all white neighborhoods, when the sun went down, you were in danger. You needed to get out of there. Basically they had signs that said, you know, no Negroes, something after dark, or after dusk or something like that. This is sort of the sort of the Northern arm of terrorism, like Jim Crow South had the Klan. Uh, in the North, they sort of, you know, they had private citizens that were, you know, either affiliates of the Klan or whatever. But private violence, you know, you would find yourself on the end of uh, if you were in sundown towns in the North. So, you know, to just sort of stay out when the sun went down in the suburbs. You could think of it like the beginning of the movie Get Out, where Lakeith mm. Stanfield is there right at the beginning before he gets snatched yeah. up. And it's like super creepy. You don't really understand why, right? It's just a black dude walking in the suburbs. He's, caught, he's obviously out of place. But, you know, that harkens on, harkens on back to sort of sundown towns where it's late. You know, obviously, if if it's daylight, you're probably there working. You're a domestic or you're working at, you know, some sort of factory job or something. But at the end of the day, only people that live there are supposed to be there. So if you're black, we know you don't live here because it's all white. So you better get out of here before we force you to get out of here kind of thing.
1: And by the way, if you haven't watched Get Out, there's, we don't care about spoiler alerts on this, like it's, it's been years now, that's on you. Um, even though that's the beginning, but. Um, so yeah, so let's, let's jump into some stuff. There's a bunch of things we've been kind of chatting about on the side, but we haven't chatted on the pod. And so one we wanted to jump into is, you know, Netflix is making all sorts of moves. You know, they did the big HBCU donations. I think it was like 120 million. Taught Spelman, Morehouse, and and then I think the third was a more general fund, and then they just said that they're they're moving a hundred million to black banks, and all of that. Ed's been pushing uh, on us uh, this book called the The Color of Money by Mursa Baradadon, and you know, admittingly, I'm pr- close to halfway through, so I definitely don't have all the points, but there's a big general gist of like just the concept of like black banking isn't necessarily like the right move, even though it's historically been the thought process. So it's like, I think on the surface, this feels right. Um, But Ed, you know, maybe fill in some of the, some of the areas that when you, when you read this announcement, kind of what jumped
0: into your mind? Well, when they announced that they were going to, when they tagged Mercer's Twitter, I was like, Oh, yeah, you know, I'm a big Mercer follower on Twitter, obviously. But they when they, when I read into exactly what they were doing, it I felt like, wait a second, this is not really what she says, is the solution in her book. So Netflix is making this big announcement, citing her book, saying, Yeah, we're gonna do what Mercer said. It's like you clearly didn't really read it, Netflix, did you? I mean, shout outs to Reed, who gave money to HBCUs. I think that that is I'll tell you what, I think funding HBCUs is more impactful than Netflix funding Black banks. Um, so, and I'll say this, I'm like halfway through. I still don't know what her solution is yet, if I'm
1: being real honest, because yeah. I, f- I feel like it's a, I'm like hours and hours and hours of history. And I'm yet <laughs> to hear the case. And, you know, a, a lot of these books, like they, ha- there's a lot of intersectionality with just like, certain things you kind of start reading over and over um, of just like the fucked upness of just things you know one of her big cases that i didn't know about but there was i'm totally blanking on his name but he was a black banker in chicago and he was like the biggest black banker in chicago and he uh he had like this pact with these other banks that they would like help each other out if something happened and he was the only person who was tried and put in jail during the great depression. It was the only banker tribe, but it was like all sorts of horseshit. And actually, if anything, he was trying to put up all his money to save like his, uh, his bankers. But a lot of it that I, the the broad generalization that I've read a lot of it is like, you know, back in the, like the Booker T, like Du Bois days and stuff so much of the thought process was like, we basically have to have respectability and within respectability, we have to do things within the way like white people are doing things. So we have to have banks. Um, But then oftentimes the way that the banks worked was even if they made money, they had to put it into like white things or vice versa um, because there wasn't enough of an economy to keep it all in a certain place. Um, And so there was always like, Right, Like the intention of like the black bank in in essence was was right, but in like right. in the way that it actually w- rolled out, it actually never really worked well for black people. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I'm assuming she's getting to a point of like let's actually talk about the banking industry first as to how it actually works with people as opposed to just like black banks because just because someone is black at a bank doesn't mean it's actually helping black people am i am i kind of on
0: generally where she's going with this yeah definitely yeah she i think she picks you know in the the sort of the subtitles sort of you know the racial wealth gap in the history of black banks right you know title being the color of money you know, it's whether it's between her or Sandy Darity or Derek Hamilton or ta Coates, you know, there's a huge, the biggest historical injury that sort of undergirds all other injuries in America is really the wealth gap. Um, you know, it allows for all of the other things that we all the other all of the other ways we, we understand black people are injured when it between health and schools and maternal mortality and you know small businesses and even police brutality like it's sort of the 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 wealth gap has roots it's like sort of the common denominator of of all of that and i mean the idea is to basically if you can close the wealth gap through real radical policy a lot of other things will be taken care of as a result you know so whether people agree with that or not she kind of lays out the out the case and stuff but i mean a lot of people and you mentioned book she mentioned booker t you know, Garvey, Malcolm, Nation of Islam, Killer Mike. Um, well, like, Garvey well, is like, in a way, like Garvey's, Gar, Killer Mike's almost like this combo of like Garvey and like Booker T, right? Right, right. yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, but it, it all comes from the strain of, of sort of black nationalism. Um, right. And this idea that it, it's kind of tips into our other topic, but I want, I want to get, you know, sort of capitalized the beat. So black nationalism, the, the logic around that holds that we're gonna withdraw from all white institutions because all they do is exploit us. And we're gonna go over here and erect this new black nation. It's in the name, black nationalism. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not nationalism in the sense of, of supremacy, you know, the way white nationalism is, is sort of to forge this, this different identity and our own institutions to then bolster our own society that you know, it can be equal to white society, or it can be better. But all we know is that we are withdrawing from politics and you know, sort of the economic institutions. And of, and and, of and white Ed, society. like that, that early on, I mean,
1: you know, some of the I'm blanking on her name, but it was like something Walker, right? She the first black millionaire who like Madam C.J. Walker. Yeah, Madam C.J. Walker, who created, you know, it was just like selling into into the community because white people didn't want to sell black people. But I, you have to, I have to imagine that black people are certainly being like, oh shit, like we can do this ourselves. There's, we, we have a right. few people that are starting to make money. So, and we're doing things exactly. that no one would have done for us anyway. And so you can see how the evolution would have been. Well, then we have to be just about us and we can do this if we just, we create these products and we create solidarity with our purchasing.
0: Exactly. So exactly. I, 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 I kind of get it. I, I feel like I would have been on the black nationalist train. For sure. We are. I mean, we, we, a lot of black people are like this whole, the whole I, separate identity that was forged out of black nationalism and self determination makes the reason you got to capitalize on the beat, which we'll get to. But your question about the bank, like how come funding black banks doesn't work, basically. And Baldwin writes about this in The Fire Next Time. Like he's in the cab and he's talking. Because uh, he just met with, a, you know, a sort of Elijah Muhammad and one of the Nation of Islam guys are driving him in his taxi cab, and he's like, he's like, "Yeah, Mr. Ball, we're gonna we're gonna erect our own institutions and banks and so forth." And Ball was like asking him pointed questions, and then his, his sort of logic is just completely falling apart. Like, how do you actually do that, Nation of Islam? What are you what are you talking about? How are you going to do that with black banks? How does financially do you just erect your own financial economy within the jurisdiction of an American economy? Um, and so. Black banking is the idea that we can control the black dollar. I know you've heard that before, Far. Let's control the black dollar. The Chinese do it, you know. The you know the the, the Italians used to do it, and and you know we're, you know Little Italy. Like why can't why can't we have Little Africa? We just control the black dollar. The way that banking works, the way that wealth was created in this country, you can't. And this is Mercer's main point: is you can segregate people, but you can't segregate money. The way wealth creation or money multiplication happens is because there's a network of banks charted by the federal government. So the way that wealth is created, the way that money is created is through fractional reserve lending, right? A bank takes in $10 a deposit and it lends out nine, but there's still $10 on the, on the ledger in the bank, but those $9 goes out to circulation to create money at another bank. So it's sort of this network of creditors and debtors, Right. So this is the this is sort of the new American banking system that comes as a part of the new deal, harkens back to Alexander Hamilton that Mercer brought speaks about in her first book and then ties it into this and sort of the racial wealth gap. So when black, the, the reason why you can't circulate the black dollar in the black community which is, you know, a segregated community, is because black people don't own any property. So the way that it works is a black person gets a loan from a black bank, you know, that fractional reserve lending, and they're buying a property that is more often than not owned by a white owner. So then you give that money to them and they're putting it in a white bank, right? So it's sort of these black banks that operate outside of the network of all mainstream banks, which are white. So you know, there's an exclusion of black banks. So the money that gets created goes back in circulation into the white banking institution. Into right, the because that's community. the
1: only way banks make money; is they have to lend and put it back out. So interbank yeah. lending, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I also read. I think the top five banks right now control like I think over fifty percent. Well, yeah. Let's. Let, I think. I think that's. You know, we we could go for for time. We'll, we'll keep pushing into the, the capital yeah. B word, but. um I mean, shouts, uh, Marissa Burrata down and just recolor of money <laughs> all Please. Add, to, add to the book list. So uh, we, we, we've known for a while that the New York times was talking about, they just said, they're going to do capital B on black. And I think, uh, I don't even know why I started doing it. Me and Jim were talking about this morning. I saw that Johnny Cobb wrote, does anyone feel strongly about uppercasing the B in black? I'm generally opposed to this, but because it turns race a non-existent category into a proper noun it also feels a little like when your job is like, we can't give you a raise, but how about a new title? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, he's yeah, not wrong tough. in any of that. Right? Right, right? I mean, and it's, you know, I was thinking for a second, I was like, what? It's funny, I'm capitalizing B and black, but I'm not capitalizing W and white. Um, and like, I get, in, I get why I'm doing it in one way, but it is, I can see where someone who wants to be on the opposing side of this argument could like point to that kind of easily.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. Jelani Cobb is, he's, he's that dude. Howard alum, you know, came up the ranks with, with Coates and and a lot of other writers. Cool with Nicole Hannah-Jones. He's He's like, he's in that network, right? And I read him all the time. But I think he's, and I'm surprised that he took that stance. I understand, but what the capital B sort of shows is blackness is complicated, right? Those of us who correctly point out that race doesn't exist as a category, it is a social construct, it's a political construct, it is a construct of, of injury. You know, race is a child of racism, not the father. Like, is correct. But throughout slavery, during Reconstruction, the fall of Reconstruction into Jim Crow and, and, and modern segregation, the people that were under the boot, these people of African ancestry that were categorized as being a part of the Negro race or the Black race, you know, however, you know, whichever category you want to add to that time, forged an identity through self-determination and saying, right, because you're mixing folks of Africans who are, who are coming to this country initially who have all these different nationalities, who have nothing in common with each other. Blackness didn't exist in the beginning. Like, it, it just, it, it, it didn't. But over the times and customs and laws and slave codes created what we understand to be race the white race is the free group of people. The black race is the enslaved group of people. And they don't exist um, without each other because they are, they are sort of negations of each other. So, you know, the boot on your neck names you of a black race. You don't accept it because with that comes all of the stereotypes, with all the sort of the, the denigration, the pejorative term, the pejorative understanding of race, which is, you know, you're, you're stupid and, and weak and hypersexual and criminal and all of those things. But under that, you forge a peoplehood to survive, and that's of a Black ethnic and cultural identity. That's what the capital B is signifying. There has forged a new ethnicity, which ethnicity is just, I have to reread the definition, but it's, you know, a collective of, of a shared culture from a specific region or something like that. It has nothing to do with biology. It has nothing to do with religion. You know, the Jews have an, an ethnicity, I would argue, outside of the religious identity, right? They forge a, a sense of peoplehood in the collective. That's what the capital B in black is. We have an ethnic and cultural identity. That's what HBCUs are, right? That's what sort of black culture is. That's what jazz is. That's what the blues is. That's what hip hop is. That's capital B black ethnic and cultural identity, not a racial one because race is nothing but power. So that's why you don't capitalize white because white is just a race. You know, the ethnic and cultural identity of people who, who call themselves white are Irish, are Polish, are Italian, are Jewish, right? So it's like you got to make the distinction. But what we do is we conflate racial blackness with ethnic blackness all the time. And racial blackness is minstrelsy. It connotes inferiority because that's what it was created to do to well, justify Ed, slavery. Yeah.
1: And like when we were talking to Leon, you know, and um, you know Jim is talking about going back to Haiti, or you know, we're talking about you know, you know, if you're you know, saying one go back to you know, Africa, it's like Leon's like, well, that's not my story. You know, Mm -hmm. I I don't have that same legacy. So for many black Americans, like, yeah, they they understand at some point in time, their family wasn't from here. But at this point through this really fucked up situation, like this is the ethnicity and it's
0: just, it's a different thing. This is us, like black people are Americans, you know, Black nationalism to an extent, certain parts of it is rejecting the American identity. I know, you know, Malcolm was part of that, Afro-American. We don't consider himself to be in politics initially and and, and sort of American citizenship, but the Black ethnicity for, 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 you know, for the most part is an American ethnicity, is what we create here. We are Americans, we are owed all of this stuff. Like we built this shit, this is our home. We have just as much as right to be here as anybody else you know, the country obviously mistreats us and we have a reckoning to happen there. But like, there is no village in Africa where, you know, this is the mother, you know, like lineage in terms of lineage and ancestral for sure. But there's no like, in terms of a a Black nation, it is here in America. You know what I mean? So I I co-sign with, you know, what Leon was saying.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I would say, you know, one of the issues that we actually haven't really talked about uh, but obviously it's been like probably the biggest issue of the past. and don't know the big the biggest, but one of the most talked about debated issues of the past few weeks has been the, you know, defund the police movement. And I've, I've been on a few other people's podcasts or just even in other people's conversations. And I think a lot of like the white knee jerk, kind of like moderate, moderate liberal reaction is like, this isn't going to play. And the reason I think that's the knee jerk is white people know a, a lot of <laughs> are close to other white people and they know like how just fragile people are to some of these things. Also, most white people grew up like with like a moderate to decent respect and appreciation for the police. It's just like a, a totally different connection where I've kind of stood on it is I personally, I'm, I'm for it. I can under, also understand because I, I like living in nuance, where people would feel like it might not be the winning slogan. But I'm also of the understanding that, like, it's not. I don't feel like it's my place within this movement to say otherwise. I feel like, for you know, this is a movement right now led by you know black and people of color, and because this is what's been the situation that they've been most immediately aggrieved by and if this is the slogan if this is what they think is the winning move like i'm down for it because guess what we've done other things and it hasn't fucking worked Mm -hmm. and i'm always down for trying new things because why not also it's like when you're going for something do you ask for exactly what you want or do you go for like everything and like potentially it, it ends up you know somewhere uh, or I'm, what I meant to say is, do you you ask for where you think it might end up, or do you ask for what you really want? And this is what we really, you know, people want. It's what I want too. It's like, you know, like we need to pay social workers more. We need more community resources. And like, you know, I I think where this this conversation though always ends is, you know, people are like, well, there was actually only like so and so amount of people killed by the police last year. And then like, what happens <laughs> to black on black violence? And like, do you just want the comps everywhere and blah blah blah? So we know where where this goes. But like, on the surface, starting with like the slogan. Where do you kind of fall on it?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, the slogan is, you know, a shocking slogan, right? When you first hear it, it's like, what? What? Yeah. It's like jarring. I think it's, it's sort of the point. I, I like it because it's, it gets more to the structural versus in the past, I think we you know people were body cams, you know, diversity, um, unconscious bias training. Like, that's what people wanted to do for the police even though the police police have been killing and terrorizing, you know, black segregated communities for basically since they were created. So defunding the police is more of like this this sort of structural thing now. Like it's 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 a structural talk, which I think gets more to it. You know, I would go even further. I think defunding the police is sort of it's sort of a half description of kind of what should I mean honestly what what we really need is is we, we need you know desegregation you know we need we need to basically get rid of the, the ghetto and get rid of segregated neighborhoods because I think segregation is the true root of, of of the problem, you know, which produces the wealth gap, you know, which produces all these other inequities. So I mean the reason that you know the funding the police is saying, hey, take your budget and put it in other social programs for black communities rather than just policing them, which is which is actually correct. But what's actually Not an accident, or it's not a flaw in the design. It is the design, you know, because segregated neighborhoods, the only social investment segregated neighborhoods get are the police and jails. That is the largest social investment historically in the Black community, on purpose.
1: Well, right, right? there's there's this, like, you know, this long-standing, like, sentiment that people are bad, (laughs) right? And that, that crime is almost overwhelmingly directly routed to just, like, trauma in life to poverty all these things that are linked in like are there like a few just people who are like off their rockers sure but like that's in like basically the margin of error when it really comes down to these things but yeah. you know to actually go against this and so even when i you know my reaction always is when i hear like black on black crime it's like yeah right. i mean there, there is a high rate of like right. murder of like people, but also that's just the way kind of life works one, which is we kind of know who we know, cause we've been segregated the one way. Also black people have been like the most systemically impoverished and like put into this just crazy multi-generational forms of trauma, of lack of access, all these different things. So what you really have is like, you have just young kids for the most part who are fucking numb from so much pain of living in, growing up in a fucking horror and with right. no lifeline or like access to help in any sort of way, and it's like, of course, like just sending in cops isn't going to do anything. Like it might just push it in different directions. You know, it's it's like if someone is sick and instead of giving them like medicine, you like hit them with a stick and told them to like <laughs> get better. Like I don't. Yeah, know. no, that's
0: exactly that's a good analogy. That's exactly <laughs> it. I mean, black and black crime is a pretty famous. Misnomer. I mean, first of all, most crimes are committed by people you live around, like neighbor on neighbor crime. Yeah, that's yeah. the same for any community in America. Right. So then. So on top of that, you, you take a community um, or a neighborhood that is particularly segregated um, and concentrated. You know, yes, black people are going to commit all of their crimes on other black people. That's what that's it's just a proximity thing, which is just true across any group in, in America, yeah, that's number one. Number two is um, those communities are not like other communities. They are starved and deprived and, and concentrated in terms of poverty and deprived of resources. That's the design of segregated neighborhoods. These like public housing neighborhoods, these tenements that are, you know, and you've read a lot about tenements, like these are just sort of dilapidated living conditions that are just bad, number one, but then you concentrate joblessness and poverty. Crime comes from joblessness and poverty, right? And then the over-concentration creates more violent crime. And then you throw a bunch of guns into the mix. Like, you're going to get a higher uh, rate of murder and violent crime because you're creating criminogenic, a criminogenic environment to begin with, right? So then that is just sort of true of, of folks Ed, can that I are ask are on the, a social like, strata.
1: Like, a hypothetical I've been thinking in this, though, is like, we know that in order for things to really work, you need, like, wraparound services, right? you can't like solve things by just saying, well, here's have a few more social workers or like clean up the streets. Like it really has to be like a full on approach. So in theory, what, let's just say that like little incremental like stuff is, is done, but what happens in, in the absence of like, because we know politicians, things just get held up. And so what happens in the sense of like some of these communities who like things are pulled back, like police and other things, But then they aren't really still given, like, more community improvement programs and more job programs and, like, more social work programs. Like, you still have this, like, in-between – there's still this, like, in-between adjustment period. Or even if it's just staggered slowly of, like, people are doing things out of starvation mode, right? People have to figure out ways to make money. And sometimes if that's all you've got, like, that's what you do. So – it's like, I don't even, I don't even fault people for like going into these like crazy extremes. Cause like, that is like what they've been put into. But what happens if, if like the police and everything is, is pulled back and services aren't actually also like rendered because we know for the most part, what really needs to happen is going to be very hard politically to have happen like at, at all at once. Like we know it's all going to be like little pieces at a time. So what's, what's almost like yeah. the, the solve in between
0: I don't know that there is one. I mean, what happens in a black community is if if you defund the police is the crime continues as it was, as though right. the police the police there were not deterring crime. That's another misunderstanding. Like police are police are there to to enforce the barriers that keep in the ghetto from other suburban Areas, right? It's to That's enforce segregation. They don't actually solve any crime, though, at the same time. They, no,
1: they solve happens. like three, per, six, per, I don't know, some crazy low so, percentage. Yeah. yeah.
0: So the murder clearance rate does not solve for it. So then you have communities that are simultaneously over policed and under policed, right? <laughs> like, how, you, you think about, like, how is that even possible, right? It's over policing that they're old black folks from there are over incarcerated and also used as fun- funding mechanisms for the state, you know, over ticketed and all of these things. But then you get into the murder rate or the crime rate and that's like solving for murders right folks are killed are police going to come in and investigate and solve the murder who did it police don't do that in black communities right so like that then if you take that service out of the black community black people have to then solve those issues on their own and that creates more crime so the murder clearance rate is you know is not going down because they're not clearing crimes but also they're just throwing more people into into jail for minor infractions, for all of these things. So if you take police out of the equation, the murder doesn't go up, it kind of stays the same because black people, the police are not there to solve murders anyway. So
1: either way, it's not like it's helped, like you're having this issue no matter what. So at a minimum, let's start at reality. We know things are going to take, there's no perfect situation. It's going to take a while no matter what, but the faster we can start putting resources into other areas, the better, which is basically the point.
0: You need to completely just uproot the, the spatial organization of these neighborhoods like you have to completely uproot entire societies it's real social engineering because that's how they were created in the first place so then if you need solutions to be akin to their creation you need mass social reordering integration desegregation however you want to call it like that's what solves it and then lastly like black on black crime American-American crime, American-on-American American crime is worse than other societies, right? So we should look at American-on-American American crime as well, not just Black-on-Black black crime within that kind of thing. It's something in the society. It's not unique in Black people.
1: Yeah. Well, we're, I want to just cap off in a little bit different direction, but plays close to home for me. I was just reading that some of the bigger companies who, who work and sponsor the Redskins, uh, right. Who yeah. I have some friends. Some friends who have been calling the R words for a bit. Um, <laughs> are are telling them that one that they're going to start pulling advertising, and then I also just saw in the Washington Post. So growing up, the stadium was RFK Stadium in DC, right behind uh, Capitol, super famous, you know, football oh, stadium. Yeah, really, and the mm-hmm. RFK? No. Yeah, and then they moved to landover Maryland to this shithole of a stadium that everyone hates. You have to drive out to. It's like a <laughs> drinking, driving disaster it all sorts of disasters. Right, yeah, yeah. And and everyone hates the the owner's just been a, a general kind of POS. But um he will not change the name. And he's been living he's been like living off this like study that was done like ten, twenty years ago. Who the hell knows where the study was done? But basically he put out saying that most indigenous people were cool with the word and like didn't really bother them. and so but you have to understand i always hear reds a lot of at least in the past i would see on message boards and stuff redskins fans like putting yeah. that out as to why did not change the name so a little history on the redskins too i mean they're one of the oldest franchises for anyone who grew up uh, watching their games or going to any of their games like They have a very famous, like, band. They have the song, like, Hail to the Redskins that plays. It's the oldest band in the NFL. They play every time they score. If you're, like, a legacy fan, like, this song is, like, this whole thing. Um, It's, like, Hail to the Redskins and, like, Braves on the Warpath, blah, 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 blah. And as a young kid, you always were really excited about that. You know, it's, like, you scored and and you just didn't think about it in any way. But at this point, it's just – it's so insidious that, like, one – they did marketing in like the in the 21st century or 20th century to you know basically tell people that this is all right but this is like this consistent erasure of like native american people where they're just they've also had all sorts of shit but like because of like where the you know living mainly well the way of of like some of them living on reservations which are like also systemic ghettos and all sorts of other Mm -hmm, stuff mm -hmm, their voices have been completely erased Mm -hmm. and also, what I find interesting within this, especially because, like, DC, you know, for the longest time, aka Chocolate City, you know, hey. big black, like Mecca, there's a lot of black fans that are Redskins fans, which is also kind of crazy because it was actually the last team to be integrated. The fucking original owner of the Redskins was a dead racist. It's a whole other thing to unpack. But I hear black, white, all sorts of, you know, basically non indigenous people. Sure. always being like no nah, no nah, we're cool with the name we don't need to change the name like no one really cares and it's wild to me in 2020 that we're still even having this argument that something that's akin to like basically like the n-word or like calling like a jewish person or like some sort of like slur mm-hmm. is the, the name of a multi-billion dollar nfl franchise so yeah it'll be really interesting to me if if some some smoke pulls up but I don't know, man. You, you. If you want, we were talking this before. Maybe you want to touch even just slightly on just intersectionality, because this just seems to be one of these things.
0: Yeah, this is like the this is the movement started with George Floyd, but now all these other things are sort of these tipping points for all this other just like racist iconography and redskins is definitely in that bucket, right? I mean, intersectionality. I mean, this is. I don't know. I just, I just whenever I hear about you know that team and i think i was just thinking back at Frederick Douglass when he's when is this i think this is post civil war when he's fighting for rights for african americans black people whatever you want to call them, he's doing it sort of he's juxtaposing black people uh, uh, against indigenous people saying like no we deserve citizenship what you know we we're not like the indigenous people you know that just sort of want to wrap themselves in in the in, in sort of the american flag and and like the same way that uh, Elizabeth Cady stand, right? Everybody always, the old women suffragettes and, and when they were fighting over the 15th Amendment to include women in there so that women could vote, you know, denigrated black men as being sambos and criminal and like, oh, you're going to franchise black men over white women that are like resorting to this, even though they were huge abolitionists and champions of Frederick Douglass and, and emancipation. But then they're stooped down to this sort of racism in order to get what they want. The same way Frederick Douglass was stooped down to racism against indigenous people to get what he needed for black people. Like, it's just suffused in American society and nobody's, uh, you know, above it. I mean, the most injured group in, in American history, you know, obviously I think is African-Americans but also indigenous people. Like, I don't, you know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't sort of pit them, put those groups against each other, but you know, reservations and everything, like they're, 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 sort of amongst the most injured, you know, with, with African-Americans. So I, it's just like, so when, when you describe kind of black people in DC wanting to just be like, no, keep the name or whatever. Like, I'm not surprised. I just think about Frederick Douglass, like everybody's can, you know, subscribe. No, see that's not all things. right. Yeah. <laughs> There's obviously all sorts
1: of, people with all sorts of different opinions on this right 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 but, yeah not
0: just black people but like yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, who you I mean, would think would be like wait a second don't you know how this feels black people like what are you doing like you would th- yeah. just
1: like more my point yeah, is it's not yeah. unanimously like it's not like i i've, I've seen you know, many other people interviewed i'm sure there's many black people who are fully against it but
0: mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. it's not an automatic is like it's my point yeah they just haven't i don't know but like is it I need to read more into sort of the civil rights movement of indigenous people. I'm sure that there have been movements, but they've just been sort of cordoned off and outside of American society into these reservations, which are ghettos, you know, and, and they're just sort of outside of the body politic. And Well, they're also
1: away from like major media. So like, think about like how the media yeah. operates for the most part, right? Like, it's not by accident that like New York gets like a disproportionate amount of stories on things. It's like- right when major sources are close to the stories, it's just easier to tell, you know, if something is happening, you know, like we do work in Tulsa, obviously the Osage nation, they're coming out with a movie uh, that was based off the book killers of the flower moon, but like, it's a crazy story, but like, people don't know that. Like to go to standing rock, that's like by like Bismarck, like, you know, like North or South Dakota, these are just areas where like it's a trek to get out to. And that's just not the way things really operate. And I think because of that, it's just these stories have been totally blanketed. Um,
0: I'll tell you what, though, you made me think about something, you know, Osage Nation. That was such a beautiful community, uh, you know, out in Oklahoma. I think for a long time, like, you know, just to kind of basically argue against myself and I, what I just said is that in the 14th and 15th Amendments, like, Indigenous people didn't want rights. They didn't want to be American citizens because you Americans are, are trespassers. We already have our own citizenship and sovereignty in our tribes. We don't need your citizenship. So like, I don't think there's, there's, there's been, and maybe that's changed, been a ton of like, we want American rights. Like, cause they already, they were oh, already, yeah. they already have their own oh, nation. By the way, Howard University, who's the Howard guy again? Is, didn't
1: he like, wasn't he like oh. a, a soldier taking like native land?
0: Yeah, yeah, right. I don't know if he was- Speaking of how right. like
1: just complicated all these things are gonna start yeah. getting.
0: I mean, you know, listen, like rightfully so. I don't so. know if he rightfully so. Like, you know, this is sort of the American experiment. I don't know if he was na- native American land, like the Buffalo Soldiers, right? Like right. Marley's by Marley's song, like people of the Buffalo. My dad loves the Buffalo Soldiers. What were the Buffalo Soldiers? Buffalo Soldiers were people that were part of this sort of frontier society police troop to kill and expand, kill you know, kill indigenous people and expand American territory. Like that's through violence and killing <laughs> and so like are you heroic but you're also imperialist at the same time you, you know so you get black folks that are you know part and parcel of that crime as well but then even in in, in territories you know when you know america's expanding you have indigenous people that own slaves you know what i mean or fight on the side of the confederacy it's all mixed up baby like it's crazy like the oklahoma territory before it got its statehood in the 20th century in the civil war we're part of the sort of part of the Confederacy. So it's like, listen, it's all mixed up, man. Like, it's just you. Know, but, but what you can fall on is that racism is wrong. Right is right. And they watch these change let's their name. H.R. 40. <laughs> it was past H.R. 40. Exactly. Fuck,
1: man. We got to bring someone on who can t- who can geek out on H.R. 40 uh, right. with us. There's a lot to yeah. it. All right, Ed. I think I think we're wrapped on this one. Everyone will be back next week. But uh, yo, do you think the Fourth of July is going to be
0: changed soon? <laughs> Could this be our last Fourth of July? Well, uh, I don't know. But I will tell you what, I'm going to read like I do every year. I'm going to reread, you know, "What to the Slave is the Fourth of July" for Frederick Douglass's speech. I'm going to read it on the Fourth of July. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to. Uh, I don't think we need to abolish the Fourth of July. I just think. I don't know, man, this is, this is uh, like you said, the slippery slope. I don't think we need to get rid of the 4th of July, but it it should be a time for reflection. Just like Memorial Day should have been a time for reflection, you know?
1: Right. I think we all enjoy having like a day of like celebration. It just I think like to your point, it's like, how do we contextualize it? Right. Like we don't maybe I appreciate what Genesis was saying, like why we're even celebrating monuments is kind of crazy. But at the same point, like maybe we don't have to get rid of all of them, but like there needs to be some context. And I think you could say maybe the same thing with the 4th of July. Not to say that, like, you know, more people should read that Frederick Douglass piece, right? And, like, just understanding. Because, I mean, at its essence, you know, I think what we're all trying to get to is having a really amazing America. We all know the potential. um, And and we just all want to feel good about celebrating it, which is actually, like, the simplest thing ever. So it's actually, like, we want to get to, like, where the 4th is, is that moment where just everyone is like pumped about it and not just some,
0: so. Right, black people fought for, for America in the 4th of July. They also fought you know, against America for the British. We can talk about that another time. But yeah, I mean, yeah. listen, I'm down for that exactly. <laughs> yeah, can't exactly blame them for fighting against the
1: Americans. Right. Uh, <laughs> all right all, we'll get you next week. Peace.